Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Megan Landris, financial coach and student loan consultant. Megan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you so much. I'm really excited for this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I know student loans is a huge topic that so many different people want to get more information on and understand better, especially given the year that has been 2020 and, and all the different changes. Quick story just for the listeners. So Megan and I actually met via Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had someone tell me to follow her with some of the knowledge and insights that she had on student loans. And then we met in person at a financial advisor and planning conference and kind of had a double take like, hey, is that who I think it is? And we ended <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> up I think, sitting through a video marketing type of speech. And it was really great to be able to connect in person. And obviously, we've stayed in contact since. But I just wanted to kick things off with a little bit about the landscape of student loans in light of COVID Mm -hmm. and what's changed. What do people need to consider? Shout out for your emails. Your emails are fantastic when it comes to highlighting key changes and updates. And so we'll put a link to how people can subscribe to your emails because I think they're excellent and a great source of student loan information. But yeah, if you just want to kick it off and kind of talk through what's changed and what to think about. Yeah, sure. So student loans are already a pain point. Throw in 2020 and the mess of this year. (laughs) So things have definitely have changed for the better in some senses. And there's going to be some big changes coming. So the biggest change that anyone who has federal student loans has, or even if you're in school and you've started to pull out federal student loans, is that your payments, if you were in repayment, have been paused So no payments have been due since COVID-19, well, since March 13th. And as of right now, the plan is that payments are not going to be due until after September 30th. And that also came along with a 0% interest implementation. So anyone who had student loans with an interest rate, which is everybody, federal loans were dropped down to 0%, including students who are in school right now. So those were some of the big impacts due to COVID that they, through the CARES Act, wanted to help with. They brought in some student loan relief, which is great. Some really, I think, exciting language that was in the CARES Act was that these months, even though payments are not due, they will still count towards forgiveness timelines. So people going towards the longer term forgiveness with their student loans or towards public service loan forgiveness even without payments being made right now, these months still count. So it doesn't really throw anyone off from that perspective, which I thought was really positive. Have you seen anything like that in your client base? Or has anyone talked to you about how their payments got shut off or anything like that? 
Yeah, I have one person that's going for student loan forgiveness. And we had talked so many different times about the 125 qualified payments and it's not just 10 years. And so they instantly came back and were like, hey, how does this affect me and what's going on? So yeah, I've seen that. Mm -hmm. I would say a lot of the folks that I work with that are in kind of the student loan areas that have a high balance, a lot of them have refinanced just given the situation with their spouse or their personal situation Mm -hmm. of wanting to refinance and pay it down. So it's been a little bit different because Mm -hmm. there are a number of them that still don't have the federal loans at this point. Yeah. And unfortunately, private loans didn't have any form of relief necessarily, unless it was state-based. Some states specifically mandated that private companies offer some kind of like three-month forbearance or disaster forbearance opportunity. But federal loans are generally what's going to be impacted by some of these big legislation changes or stimulus packages. But and also, you know, another thought and what we're currently tracking is we're thinking that there's going to be an extension of this payment pause for a lot of different reasons. Right now, it's set for payments to kick back in in October for folks or for interest to kick back in. But right now, people's loan file says that their payment's going to be October 30th, which is a couple days before our election this year. So I think there might be some incentive to postpone payments so people aren't going to the polls most recently thinking about their student loan payments kicking back in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's maybe one reason. And then another really significant reason is that COVID-19 is still not a thing of the past, unfortunately. It's still negatively impacting people from a financial perspective. And so there is some push for extended relief. And then possibly the biggest reason, I think, and the newest reason out into the public recently is that there is going to be a big servicer change at the end of this year. Have you heard about that? I know I put it in my newsletter, but did you hear about it through other channels or anything yet? I think your newsletter was the way that I found out about it. So again, shout out to that because it was super helpful and is very clear and concise on what is happening and how it impacts you depending on what type of loan that you have. So no, that was actually the way that I had saw the update. Yeah. And it was, so this is early July. This only happened within the last week. This was announced. So this is something that I think, you know, unfortunately could scare people. Historically, there have been servicer changes that have maybe negatively impacted just the flow of things because when a servicer changes, you have to create a new account, your loans get moved, maybe payment history could be lost. That's unfortunately what has happened in the past. But it's something that is going to be happening at the end of the year. And essentially what that means is federal student loans are owned by the federal government. They're not sold Sometimes that's a common misconception, but the servicers, the companies that take your payments, track your payments, and report that to the federal system, their contracts expire after a certain point. I think one big push was to start moving student loans to a more centralized system. And it's not a secret that our current existing servicers have not been great at their jobs. You know, a couple have had definitely more favorable ratings than others, but I think this was all just kind of a push to start making things more of a positive experience with servicers and more of a centralized, organized system, I guess you could say. But it is going to come with change at the end of the year, which no one ever likes. But that whole story, that whole thing was because (laughs) I do think that's another great reason why they should extend payments and the interest kicking back in because it would be much easier 
to do all of those changes if payments weren't coming into the servicers and having to stop those and then transition. And I just think it'd be a lot easier to do that when all payments are paused anyways. So we shall see, though. I think the extension is reasonably going to be maybe three months, maybe six months. But I think maybe beginning of the year is the next time we'll see federal student loan payments kick in and interest kick back in. Yeah. And there was actually a really good podcast series by Michael Lewis, who's written a lot of different financial books about referees. And it's called Against the Rules was his first season. He talked about student loan servicers and some of the less than savory practices at times and how sometimes there's not the best advice being given based on how their incentive structure is done and bonuses internally. And so, yeah, I think if the change can be that better advice is rendered and given to those individuals that have student loans from these different servicers, I think it's going to be a big benefit. But to your point, it can be a pain in the butt as it goes and setting up new passwords and logins and getting the history. And I know that in your email, you really stress, make sure you download your payment history if you're going for the student loan forgiveness from the PSLF, which is really important that if someone is going for that, make sure you have a track of that and be able to download what you've paid thus far in case it doesn't transfer properly and you need to provide evidence down the road. Yeah, PSLF especially because that's such a sensitive program. It's certainly a great program to pursue if that's where your career takes you. But you want to make sure that, like you said, you have the proof of payments just in case something goes awry. You always want to make sure you back yourself up to rely on yourself, <laughs> I guess you could say. But yeah, I would say download payment history right now all the way up until maybe November before that switch happens. And then that way you've got full history on your side where you, you can present if there's ever a problem for any reason. But I'm hoping that it'll be a smooth transition, of course. Absolutely. And talking about COVID and the stimulus checks and all these different things that are going on and what the federal government is planning on doing or may do. And again, we don't know what the future will hold, but there's a lot of talk about instead of possibly sending out more stimulus checks, there could just be a forgiveness of student loan debt. And then I've had a lot of different questions from people that are were thinking about refinancing before that are now saying, well, maybe I just want to wait to see. Can you talk a little bit about how you've addressed those questions, how you think about it, what the differences are? Yeah. So the student loans are definitely a hot topic right now with both candidates going into an election. It's something that people are watching for. They want to know what their plan is for student loan stuff. So at the very beginning of COVID-19, there was a lot of talk about widespread forgiveness, and then it was reduced down to maybe 10000 of forgiveness to any loans. And then it was reduced down to 10000 of forgiveness to anyone who was a frontline worker. And then finally, it was reduced down to $10,000 of forgiveness for people who had a financial hardship prior to March 13th, which was before COVID-19 really hit here. And so in my mind, it's I keep kind of trickling down to how many people these things are actually going to help. And it gets less and less and less, less people as they continue to make changes. So that was primarily for like the CARES Act and the potential HEROES Act that was put together by the House two months ago and pretty quickly strike down by the Senate. They did not approve the language of the HEROES Act, but they're talking about putting together their own stimulus package coming up here in end of July, early August. So things are still in the works as far as what could be presented with student loan relief just as part of the relief packages or stimulus packages. Some interesting language that I thought and was in the HEROES Act that I'm wondering if it's going to carry over into what the Senate puts together 
was that, yes, there was 10,000 of forgiveness available for frontline workers. But again, you had to have that hardship prior to March 13th. And so that's, it doesn't really help as many people. So I'm wondering if they would expand that in any way, or if they just strike it out altogether. I wouldn't be surprised if that was taken out altogether. But other language that was interesting in the HEROES Act was they were going to make improvements to PSLF, or Public Service Loan Forgiveness, where they were going to essentially expand forgiveness to the FFEL loans. This is kind of technical, but I'll you know, do a high level, essentially to get forgiveness under public service loan forgiveness. You know, there's five different qualifications you have to check the boxes for, which if you do your due diligence on the front end, you're going to achieve forgiveness successfully. As long as you're checking all of those boxes off and you maintain your own records and keep a pulse on what the federal system has for you too. But one of those requirements is you have to have the correct type of loans and that's direct loans. So if you look at your loan file, if you have all direct loans, then you qualify for PSLF forgiveness if you're working in public service. But a lot of folks who had borrowed prior to 2010 might have what's called FFEL loans or Federal Family Education Loans. And those do not qualify currently for PSLF. And that caused a lot of confusion because they're still federal loans, but they're a different type of federal loans. And so you know, when people could apply in 2017 for forgiveness, people were shocked to find that a portion of their loans wouldn't be forgiven, for example. So what they're talking about is in the HEROES Act was potentially expanding that definition of what types of loans qualify to FFEL loans, which or previously consolidated FFEL loans, which could be really big. So I'm interested. That makes me think, Maybe they are going to focus on improving PSLF. They've talked about it for a while. They're already starting to make servicer changes. Could there be some positive changes there? So that's in regards to stimulus packages, COVID-19 impacts. But when it comes to maybe wider spread stuff going forward or what the candidates are talking about, Biden and Trump both have a different plan. Trump's plan is almost status quo. So I think that's aggressive from that perspective, not to do much with our student loan situation in our nation. Biden's plan is very generous. So he currently wants to reduce the payment for any of one of the income-driven plans from 10% of discretionary income down to 5%. That's what he's proposed. And he also wants to expand PSLF to some degree. And another big change that I think is important is he wants to remove the tax implication to the longer forgiveness routes. So if you're going the longer term forgiveness route on an income driven plan, you get a balance forgiven after either 20 or 25 years. And as of the current tax code, that forgiven balance is taxable to you as income. It's a debt that's been forgiven. And so That's another thing he wants to change. He wants to remove that tax implication, which could be huge. You know, a lot of people rely on that longer term forgiveness route. And so if the tax implication is gone, they only have to make their student loan payments. They don't necessarily have to save for the tax implication, too. So I think both sides are very aggressive. (laughs) I think Biden is very attractive or very generous. And Trump's is almost no help. So I think both sides are very aggressive. I think at some point we might find ourselves somewhere in the middle as we work through these next couple years. But that's currently what's on the radar as far as what's been proposed, what's been talked about, and 
all of that good stuff. It's fascinating. And you typically will see politicians when they're running for reelection promise the moon and stars and you're going to get something slightly less or a lot less than, than what they talk about. So yeah, your point is well taken where it, it likely is something where there's going to be some consensus and meet in the middle. And hopefully it is something that is improving and not just saying, hey, it's a status quo, which again, status quo, we know what that looks like. You can help give advice and guidance, but not having to save for the tax bomb, that would be an absolute game changer for a lot of veterinarians just from the standpoint of that as a conversation that happens all the time is how do you save for that? How to think about saving for that and understand that you're going to get this large tax bill at some point in the future. And it is scary. And I know a lot of people have said, well, they actually forgive my loans. And it's like, yes, per what, you know, has been put out there with repay or income-based repayment or pay as you earn, they are going to provide that forgiveness. But yes, you are going to owe for whatever that forgiveness is as far as big tax bill. And sometimes that can be in high income earning years too. So that's really the challenge as well. And who knows what tax rates are in the future. And so there's just a lot of unknowns when trying to plan for that and make a wise decision. Yeah. And it's, we call it the tax bomb because it is kind of a scary thing out in the future, but current day, you could certainly plan for it. It's not something to be scared about as long as you have a plan. But it is something that, goodness, if that's something that they eliminate in the future, because it's already eliminated for PSLF, folks going towards public service loan forgiveness don't have to worry about the tax implication. It's already carved out in the tax code for them. So I think it would be amazing if that would be available to the longer term forgiveness folks, too. I think it could provide a lot of real relief. I think you mentioned it, understand your plan and having what you're going to do today as far as what the future holds, what should people be considering today with what we know, not necessarily what could happen or may happen, but what's the key elements to think about today? Well, I'll back up a second and say, I think if you have federal student loans right now, during this time frame, you're trying to decide, should I refinance? Should I be looking at a plan within the federal system? I think it could make sense to hold off on refinancing right now just to take advantage of the 0% interest for as long as we'll have it. Because even if your plan is to pay these all off in a shorter amount of time, your dollars will go a lot further with the 0% interest right now. And you can always refinance later, but you can never go backwards. You know, If you refinance now, you can't go back to the Fed system. So I think now you could really take advantage of the 0%, even if the goal is to refinance at some point. But kind of coming back full circle to that, I think what people should be doing today is just getting a plan, having a plan of action in place. And now is a great time to do that since the world is kind of on pause in a way, our student loans are paused. You can kind of have a breather to sit down and really start to look at your student loan situation and figure out not only what's the best plan for you today, but what's going to be the best long term? How is that going to impact other future financial decisions? I think that brings a lot of peace of mind once you know exactly what your trajectory is going to look like over time and what the plan itself is. Just like with financial planning, it's freeing to know what your plan is. And same goes for your student loans. So I think it would just be prioritize looking, taking a closer look at your plan or your strategy now and making sure that that's the best strategy for you and maybe stress test it. What if there is some federal relief in the future? What if Biden's plan does come to fruition? How's that going to impact your decision? If refinancing is the route, what's the goal? How long do you want to have it in the mix for? 
what per month are you going to dedicate to paying that off at or what rate at? So I think those are the big things I would say for folks to be thinking about today. I think that's great advice. And initially, when we had talked about doing the podcast, we were actually going to make it a case study and just kind of walk through everything in a couple different student loan examples. And if you want, let's do a couple of those and let's talk through them and maybe provide some real world experience and advice. And you had sent over a couple different studies. Let's talk about the one that was a little unique with the Parent PLUS loans. Can you kind of set the stage and walk us through the different things that were really important in that specific scenario and kind of where it's at today? Yeah. So one of the case studies that I thought would maybe be interesting or relevant to some folks to talk about, this veterinarian had both her own federal student loans and she also had Parent PLUS loans. So if you know what Parent PLUS loans are, you're probably pretty familiar with how much of a bear they can be. (laughs) So, But what a Parent PLUS loan is, is typically happens when you're an undergrad. But if there's a need for aid that goes above and beyond what you can pull out in your own federal loans, you can pull out what's called Parent PLUS loans for the surplus. So similar to Graduate PLUS loans, when you go to graduate school, They're very similar in nature in the sense that you can pull out as much. There's not really a limit on how much you can pull out in parent plus loans or graduate plus loans. It's up to the cost of education, which is what the school determines. And so parent plus loans can be used for undergrad and they are under the name of the parent going forward. And sometimes it's a common misconception that parent plus loans can be transferred to the student at some point within the federal system, and and it can't be. It will forever stay under the parent's name and be the parent's legal responsibility if they stay in the federal system. Now, a couple ways you can tackle parent plus loans. Traditionally, you could, if that's something you were kind of handshake agreement at graduation that you would take those over, you can refinance those out of the federal system and put them into your own name. That's oftentimes a strategy. You could keep them in the Fed system. They'll just, again, be correlated to your parent. And you have access to some of the amateurized options within the federal system where they just spread your payment out over 10, 15, 20, 25 years or so. And you could have access to income-driven options. So this is important to maybe talk about just because if your parent is in retirement or let's say, financially speaking, you cannot take on another huge payment if your parent plus loans are pretty large, it could make sense to look at an income-driven option for the parent plus loans. Naturally, they only have access to income contingent repayment, which is 20% of discretionary income. So not really helpful, but you can do a process called double consolidation, which opens the door to other repayment options that are more favorable. But I see this being successful a parent works in public service. They can pursue public service loan forgiveness essentially under their own name and get the parent plus loans forgiven after 10 years. Or even if they wanted to go the longer term route, that's a strategy too. So that was the case for this first case study. Uh, This veterinarian had about 450,000 in federal student loans under her own name and about 80,000 in parent plus loans. So not chump change by any means, She could have refinanced the Parent PLUS loans, but her mother worked in public service. So it made sense to maybe pursue public service loan forgiveness with those Parent PLUS loans because she 
at the end of the day is not going to have to pay 80000 She'll pay closer to maybe forty or less, depending on what her mom's income is going to be in the future. So Parent PLUS loans might seem like a bear and might seem overly complicated. They are. They can be, but they don't have to be. With the right plan, we could certainly incorporate that into the overall financial picture for yourself. And then with her own loans, you know, it was a conversation of, of course, what is our income looking like now? What's it going to look like in the future? So general rules of thumb to help you decide which direction you should be going when it comes to your student loan plan. If your balance is under your annual income or will be pretty soon, then that's probably a surefire sign that you should maybe prioritize paying it off sooner rather than later, reduce the interest rate, maybe look at refinancing. But if your balance is greater, and a lot of times this is the case now, especially for veterinarians and dentists, that you know our balance is much greater than what our annual income is going to be, sometimes two, three, four times what our annual income is, then that's when we should be maybe considering the longer-term forgiveness route even if it's just for the first couple of years to see where your career is going to take you or where income is going to be. With her balance, she was going to have 450000 of federal loans. Her income told me, hey, we need to consider the forgiveness route. And she's not working in public service, but we looked at pay, P-A-Y-E. She was eligible for that plan. And it's a 20-year time frame to forgiveness. And we just compared the numbers. What would it look like if she paid this all off in 20 years? or 10 years, if she really wanted to crush it and pay it all off in 10 years, what would that look like in comparison to the forgiveness route? And mathematically and cash flow wise, it made way more sense to go the forgiveness route because it'll help her achieve other financial goals. All of her money is not going towards student loans. And mathematically, it's more efficient or cost efficient over time especially if the tax implication goes away. (laughs) So, Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) That could be a really sweet cherry on top. She's saving for it now. But if the tax implication disappears, then she's making out like a bandit. She is robbing the student loan bank. (laughs) So that's one case study. Any questions on that one or anything you want me to elaborate on there? I think the key thing that you said, and I would just reiterate it, and I think you put it really well, is just looking at the options. And even if you can afford to refinance and pay it down and be really aggressive and you're going to make these changes, I've seen people that have advocated you always can do that and that's the way to do it and you need to pay it off versus having more flexibility, maybe not being so tight from a cash flow perspective of where everything's going to that student loan because you could get to a situation like a COVID pandemic or an issue where you interrupt cash flow because someone lost a job in the household or something happens to where now it's really dire and you're in a tight spot where if it's based on income and it gives you more flexibility, you have the ability to be flexible and adaptive depending on the situation. Again, it's not always the case and I'm not a, hey, just make the minimum payment. It's not the same as a credit card. I think so many people equate like debt as evil when there's like certain debt that can be better and you can, again, have some structure and a plan, which is, again, why you do what you do because it can get detailed on why one makes sense versus another. And I've heard different stories. And I think, I can't remember what episode it was, but Dan Routh, who's joined me on the radio shows, talked about his wife, Kelsey, and their decision to go a income-based route, even though they could have refinanced and paid it. But when they ran the numbers and looked at from a lifestyle perspective and what else they wanted to accomplish, it made a lot more sense for them to have the flexibility. So well put, that is really my takeaway. I don't really have any questions. I think the Parent Plus 
situation is unique. I haven't ran into that. I know we chatted a little bit before we pressed record. I haven't seen that personally, but I do think it makes a lot of sense, especially as you highlighted, if they work in public service to have the parent continue to have that, don't refinance it, go for forgiveness. And you can structure it a couple different ways as long as from a that family unit, you have a good plan together. And it's not the parents are trying to do one thing and the children are doing something different. Like as long as it's cohesive, I think you can structure it really, really nicely. And it sounds like that was absolutely the case here with your advice and guidance. Right. Yeah, it definitely helps when everybody's on the same page or at least has the same plan in mind. So I think that's really helpful, of course, and the cohesion is really important. But yeah, it worked out really well in this case. And it really helped from a cash flow perspective, her to have more money to put towards other things, other financial goals of hers. And that couldn't have been possible with refinancing or trying to pay this all off in a more aggressive manner. And the federal system allows it. We can leverage the federal system in your favor. And (laughs) I don't know, I kind of always talk about how student loans in a way are like taxes, especially if we're going the forgiveness route, treat it like a tax. As in, you don't want to pay taxes. You want to pay as little as possible and be really efficient as possible. And federal student loan debt, especially going the forgiveness route, we're not planning on paying it off. So it's not necessarily a debt in my mind. (laughs) It's just a tax we're going to have around for a little bit and we'll be efficient with it and leverage it in the best way we can and be done with it at some point. So yeah. I love that analogy (laughs) of equating it to taxes. That's really good. I might have to swipe that, which is (laughs) steal with integrity and pride. (laughs) I was told that early on in my career and I'm like, Ooh, I like that. He's like, Hey, if you ever see anything that's really good, just let someone know you're going to swipe it. And Full permission. Just put it. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. Second case study. So we'll do two is more of a, you called it vanilla, but nothing's ever vanilla. There's always (laughs) (laughs) different nuance to it, but it doesn't have the parent plus loans. Can you kind of outline this situation? I know this was a close friend as well. Mm -hmm. So you have a little bit more information on the personal side as well of kind of the decision making that went on with that situation. Yeah. Definitely. So this is a good high school friend of mine that I went to school with, cheered with. She's now a veterinarian, just graduated, entering residency coming up. And she had about 142 post-graduation of federal student loans. And that was creating a lot of anxiety in her. And having the right plan was really important. Now, in her field, where she's specifically going into that balance, 142, is going to be greater than her income for the foreseeable future. And so that tells me, hey, I know this balance is lower than maybe the first example, 450 compared to 142, but it's not chump change. It's certainly still a six-figure balance. But since her income is lower than the balance, it tells me we need to be considering a forgiveness route. And I think this also plays to the tune of kind of how you summarize the first case study You know, this conversation I like to have, but even if you think you can pay off the student loans, because we walked through it, we walked through what would it take to pay these off in 10, 15, 20 years so we don't have to worry about the Fed system or anything. And the cost difference between the two, it was not as significant as it would be with a larger balance, for example, especially with maybe some of the income assumptions that she thinks are going to be coming to fruition later on. But I think the conversation steered towards this student loan debt is not an asset-backed debt. 
So we could eat beans and potatoes for the next 10 years and pay this all off. And what's going to be tough about that is we put a lot of our cash flow into a debt that doesn't build equity. It's not going to return anything to us. And at the end of the day, yes, we're done sooner than maybe the longer term forgiveness route, maybe 10 years sooner. But once it's paid off, we still have a $0 net worth. And we're starting from ground zero at that point. And so we really talked about from a cash flow perspective and from just a financial planning perspective, what benefits maybe the longer term route could represent. And one big benefit is just the opportunity cost of that extra cash flow that she'll have on a month to month basis going towards other things, going towards retirement, going towards savings. And, you know, again, the conversation I come back to a lot is what if the tax implication is not there? If that's the case, then hands down, that's probably the least expensive option if we don't have to pay for the tax implication compared to paying it off sooner. And so we talked through that. We talked through just different strategies. And I think at the end of the day, I think the pros of having the flexibility of the federal system was really attractive. And it also helped her accomplish other financial objectives, again, like saving for retirement earlier, saving for a down payment. And sometimes that's a concern that I'll hear folks with maybe the longer term strategy is, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to buy a house or I'm never going to be able to get a mortgage with this amount of student debt. And that's not necessarily true. I feel like that's almost 100% what the biggest, (laughs) biggest combat to that plan is, I guess. But at the end of the day, when you go and apply for a mortgage or when you're going house shopping, the mortgage lender is not looking at your balance per se. They're looking at your required monthly payment. And so if you're wanting to purchase a house, being on an income-driven plan could really help you from that perspective. Your monthly payment is going to be way lower than maybe what it would be if you were accelerating it or just paying it all off in general. And so from a mortgage perspective, that's not going to inhibit you in any way. And from a financial planning perspective, it's going to help you save earlier, which we all know is so important. Compound interest is very impactful. And it'll help you achieve just other financial goals other than just throwing money towards student loan debt that's never going to do anything for you, if that makes sense. So that was the ultimate decision. We decided with her loans going the pay route. So again, pay is a 20-year forgiveness timeframe would be best. And it also preserves the option, uh, similar to what you were saying, with preserves the flexibilities you might need, like dropping the payment down if income has been impacted. There is a permanent disability and death discharge. So if you were to prematurely pass or become permanently disabled, these federal loans will be discharged in that sense and no tax implication for it. And then the other thing that you preserve or that you hold on to is if things get better with federal student loans, which I think things are going to continue to get more favorable for borrowers. And so let's say for her, Biden's plan does come true. The tax implication is gone. Hands down, that was a good decision because mathematically we spent way less than we would have if we paid it off sooner based on her numbers. Let's say maybe she goes into public service loan forgiveness later on or she's working at a public service entity. She preserves that opportunity to go towards PSLF. So that was the conversations we had around those loans and just how it preserved more options for her versus going the refinance route, which she could have done. She could have definitely prioritized that and grinned and bared it. What is that term? Grin and bear it? 
um, for that 10 years. Uh, <laughs> is that what yeah. it is? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's quite right, but I don't know <laughs> right. how to correct it. So I'm not going to tell you it's wrong. Yeah, I'm good at numbers, not phrases or words or anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I thought that one was, and I said vanilla because in my world, parent plus loans are in general a little more complicated. So definitely not a vanilla case by any means, but compared to some of the things that I walk through with folks, it, it can be. <laughs> yeah. It's what you spend your time on. Just like for some people, you know, you think about like a veterinarian doing surgery for them, it might be a routine vanilla surgery. And then to someone like us, we'd be like, oh my gosh, we have no <laughs> idea what you're doing, where it's all about what your expertise is and what you're used to doing day in and day out. And, and that's your expertise. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask on the you made a really good comment that I've brought up and had conversations with. Can you talk about the premature death or disability if you refinance your loans? And if those refinance loans, is there language from certain carriers that will still honor that? Does it go away? Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? So if you refinance with a private company, generally speaking, that debt is not going to be 100% dischargeable upon your death or disability. Each company will have their own terms for maybe disability. Generally, they are not going to be as friendly or nice as the federal system. Common Bond is a company that does preserve the 100% dischargeability for death or disability. So I think maybe a couple other companies might sneak that in there at some point because it's definitely a consideration people weigh when deciding to refinance. So that's something you want to just check out the language for, but each company could be a little different and they might have different terms for disability or financial hardship. It just comes down to what their terms are going to be for you. But generally, no, they don't have a 100% dischargeability. Thank you. I think that's a huge point to consider and think through as well. I guess as we kind of close and wrap up, is there a soapbox topic when it comes to student loans that you really wish more people understood or knew? And maybe we've already covered it, but if not, I just kind of wanted to give you the stage to chat on anything that you wanted to. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to close it. (laughs) I would say I consistently talk about how I want to reframe people's mind about their student loan debt. And you said it earlier, and it's 100% accurate. I think we as a society have made the thought of debt or we think of debt to be bad, just in general, bad. You should feel guilty about it. You should pay it off like your hair's on fire. And I think that's maybe an old way of thinking about debt. Just looking at the history of debt in general, debt was way more expensive than it is today. For example, like mortgages 20, 30 years ago, their interest rates were above 10% regularly, (laughs) maybe closer to 30, 30, 40 years ago, but still. And so that's maybe something in the back of some folks' minds that mortgages are bad because their interest rates are horrible. Well, now we're closer to like 2, 3, 4% regularly. Same thing with auto loans. Like auto loans used to be above 10%. Now we see them easily for 0 to 5% generally. So pretty inexpensive debt from that perspective. Student loans have kind of hovered around the same area. They haven't really changed too much. But I think we have that common misconception that we have to pay off debt as soon as possible to be successful, financially speaking. I don't necessarily think that's the right frame of mind when looking at debt from a comprehensive level, I guess you should say. And I really like to stress that your financial future, your financial independence in the future is not going to come down to 
your student loan strategy. Well, you can certainly have an efficient student loan strategy that helps you, but your financial independence in the future comes down to your savings rate and how much you're putting away for your future. And if you spend years and years and years focusing on paying off all your debt before you even think about saving, you're shooting yourself in the foot, I feel like twice, maybe three times. <laughs> you know, we're delaying our savings. We're not participating in the market earlier on. We don't have compound interest starting earlier on. Mathematically, it may not have made sense if your debt was below market average. I think I use five to seven percent. I'm sure you have your number too. Like if your debt is below seven percent, you could do better net potentially with market averages by investing that. Market average you know, is closer to maybe nine, ten percent for longer term investing. But if a debt's costing you two percent or four percent, I don't think we should be throwing all of our extra cash towards that. I think we should be taking that extra cash and putting it towards your future. So that's something I really like to talk about because again, student loans aren't going to build equity. They're not going to pay you in the future. It comes down to you and your savings rate on where you're going to be financially speaking in the future. And a good student loan plan, a good debt reduction plan can help you, but it's not going to do that for you, if that makes sense. So I always like to talk about that. I think that's extremely well put. And anyone that's listening to the podcast knows my feelings on building equity and the best investment being a lot of times in yourself and your skill set and having ownership in a veterinary practice. If you have that desire for ownership, what that can do as far as you can borrow at an extremely low rate, a lot of times in the four, five-ish range, the average veterinary companion health practice is mid-teens as far as profit margins towards ownership is even better than the market. And it's something that Megan and I can't necessarily do because we don't have the skill set and the knowledge that you do. And you can do that still with student loans. And that's always something that I want to stress is that if you have that desire, don't let a big student loan balance hold you back from that standpoint. Again, have a plan, talk through it. But I think you're exactly right from the standpoint of Sometimes people will do things that don't mathematically make sense. And I get that. And that's a whole other conversation as far as what they prefer. But yeah, all debt is not evil. Credit card debt at 18 to yeah, 25%. Yes, that's, that's still evil. Let's attack that. <laughs> totally get that. Totally get that. That doesn't change. But you're exactly right on some of the other things. And it is about savings. And it is about what can you build for the future. And putting money towards paying off debt doesn't always accomplish that. So no, I appreciate that. Thank you for that explanation. If people are interested in connecting with you, finding out more, where do they follow you? Where would you send them? Yeah. So I'll plug my Insta since that's where we essentially met. Uh, so <laughs> mine's financial, <It's> great follow. <laughs> financial Coach Megan. My name is spelled M-E-A-G-A-N. So my mom says it's a Southern way. I don't know. So Financial Coach Megan is my Instagram, my Facebook, and then that's my website too. So just Financial Coach Megan. And then I also consult for a student loan planner. You know, I blog for them. I write a lot of pieces on student loan stuff. So if you have any questions about anything related to student loans, you could probably find that topic in our blog chain. So studentloanplanner.com is where you could find that. Absolutely. And I will link to everything that Megan just outlined in the show notes. And I know that student loan planner, Travis Hornsby was on episode two, but they've had more blog posts around veterinary medicine and student loans than any other profession. So we know it is a desired topic and is highly sought after. So Megan, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your knowledge. And yeah, I think this is a podcast that has a ton of information that people will get a lot out of. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for nerding out with me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely.
Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking again to you soon.